Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast. This free podcast is made possible through gifts by people like you. Please consider making a donation through the donate button on the website to help us offer unique audio, video, and text-based teachings on the internet and to grow this community library. Michael's teaching bridges the gap between inner healing and social change by synthesizing traditional spiritual teachings with the insights of the West. To learn about Michael's international retreats and workshops, please visit michaelstoneteaching.com. Thank you for your support. I'm going to talk for a little bit about mindfulness of breathing, and then um, um, we're going to do an exercise together, and then we'll have our afternoon break. Does that sound okay for everybody? Um, I also just wanted to mention, because we've been talking about self-care, after lunch, if you come in here and you feel really tired, um, and your body is doing a lot of work digesting, Please really pay attention to what you're doing at lunch. Are you getting air? Mm -hmm. What are you eating? Um, And just notice if maybe um, your body's not getting the rejuvenation at lunchtime that it needs. Um, And maybe is working too hard digesting, or didn't get enough rest at lunchtime, or didn't get enough sunlight. Um, So please consider all those things so we're energized in the afternoon. I also just wanted to acknowledge that uh, um, it's really wonderful practicing with all of you. And um, to be around uh, people who sincerely want to practice and learn how to apply this practice, especially just in their own life, um, is inspiring for me. So um, it's great. And... um, I think a lot of us in our day-to-day lives are not around uh, lots of other people who are peers, who are really motivated to learn um, in an embodied, kind of heartfelt way. So also let's acknowledge that, because uh, it's very rare and we're very lucky that we get to do this together. And uh, not that many people have the leisure time uh, and the health and the safety and the opportunity uh, to do this together. Um, so, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to apologize. Um, so that's each other. The other thing is, um, I think for me it's important to acknowledge that it's really wonderful being in a city where the parks are incredible and the canal's incredible and um, the streets are really busy with so many different kinds of people and uh, let that also be part of our practice. So um, the stillness and silence that we experience here and with white walls and very beautiful floors and the perfect lighting and the perfect temperature is great. And so is being in the tube. Uh, so is the grit of dense urban life. And one of the things about London that I'm experiencing, that I'm really enjoying, 
is that when I walk home uh, to the place that I'm staying, it takes an hour, and I walk through so many different kinds of neighborhoods. And even in one neighborhood, there are so many different ways people are living. And so it's really interesting um, just feeling that and experiencing that and being sensitive to that because that's not separate from who we are. So uh, make sure that the circle you're drawing around who you think you are um, is stretched just by being in the city. Uh, the city is an amazing place to practice. So if you have fantasies that the monastery is the best place to practice, um, this is the monastery. Yeah. And as Rachel, I'm sure, would love to tell you, um, being around a small group of people who are spiritual could actually be the worst thing ever. <laughs> um, I also want to underline that this practice that we do is going to take us deeper and deeper into... It's sort of going to excavate deeper pathways in our own heart. And it's going to do this by helping us pay attention more to what happens internally, what's happening around us externally, and both internally and externally at the same time. Um, also, uh, learning new techniques can be a little humbling because some of us are learning things that are just not how we've practiced. So take what you know and just put it to the side for a week. Like really put it to the side. And let's see if we can take in something new, even if it's really different than how you've learned. The example I like to use sometimes is that if you ever want to jump, you're standing on the floor and you want to jump. Do you ever want to jump? <laughs> Do you ever want to jump? Um, <clears throat> but you're standing on your tippy toes, how high will you jump? <laughs> so if you stand really straight and you lock your knees, how high are you gonna jump? <clears throat> yeah, not really that high. Yeah, what do you need to do? You need, yeah, you need to crouch down so you have spring, and then from this crouching spot, um, you can spring up. And the same is true for me to get where I'm staying. Um, I think you have to go straight that way. Um, but in order to get the canal to the canal, I have to go this way and then this way and then this way and behind this estate. And so sometimes to go forward, you actually have to go backwards. Sometimes to go up, you actually have to go down. But our cultural minds are so ingrained with this idea of progress that I should meditate on my breath and then I'm going to find peace. Um, and you can see that in that we want to make things happen or we want to have an experience. How many of you have come to meditation because you want an experience? <laughs> so sometimes we need to stop, we need to turn inwards, and we need to really settle the heart. And if you can't settle your heart, sometimes you can't really work with your mind. So when I say that this is a self-care week, I really mean it. Like, look after your body, look after your digestion, look after, um, I don't know, clean sheets on the bed, you know, a new candle. 
Does anybody here, like, you used to light a candle before bed for a while? But, you know, the candle burnt out and you just haven't gotten a new one? Because beeswax candles are very expensive because there's no bees. <coughs> or magnesium flakes. So we use this practice to settle our hearts so that we can have a, an unagitated heart. It's very hard to practice with an agitated heart. Maybe you live with somebody and once again they've left their laundry all over the place. So you go to pick it up and as you're picking it up you're rehearsing in your mind all the things you're going to say to them and how this is one more reason that you should divorce. And then you stop and then you see, oh I'm agitated. So huge. You're picking up the laundry, you've got the whole story going, projecting all of this ill will onto the other person, and then you stop and just go, oh. And you feel how there's agitation present. Doesn't that sound so small? It's such a big victory. And then you remember, they have a huge project they're working on at work. And then you think, they must be so stressed. They must be so stressed with all that responsibility. And then you might see their work life in a way you hadn't seen it. Because you've only been seeing it in terms of its effect on you. But now you start to see the work life and its effect on them. So the first step to notice is what's going on in your body. What, it can shift everything. What's going on in your body right now? And the best way to tune into the body, according to the Buddha's teachings on mindfulness, is through breathing and feeling the breathing body. And how quickly we can turn from blame to compassion just by knowing what we feel. It's so profound. Some of you may have heard me say this before, but when I teach young people, I always say to them, your breath is your best friend. It's your bestie. <laughs> your breath is your best friend, and as long as you're alive, your breath is there. If you're scared out of your mind, your breath is actually still there. If you are having a panic attack, you can still find your breathing. If you have excruciating pain in your body, and the meds you're taking are still not working, you can find somewhere in your body, usually in your abdomen, where there's still some breathing. If your heart is broken, and the group of friends who you normally hang out with have you on the outs now, and you're not cool at school, you can still find your breathing. Your breath is still there. So your breath is your best friend. Well, we should remember that too as adults, I think. Your breath is always there. And a common response is, um, I'm breathing now, but I feel my emotions more intensely. It's very common. 
Or another one is, oh, I can feel my breath now, but I'm not feeling any better. <laughs> so how I respond to that is, um, did it show you where the discomfort is in your body? Like you're not feeling better, but did it show you something about where that's happening in your body? Or I might say, um, but can you relate to it differently now? Or I might say, did you relate to it differently? So sometimes I start teaching people mindfulness of breathing, and all they do is complain about how awful everything is inside of them. And so I'll ask these kind of questions. Like, okay, it was awful, and did it give you understanding? Can you feel it more specifically in your body? Can you get a little bit of distance? from your trigger. Or, sometimes I say to teenagers, did it make you any wiser? Like, did it make you any wiser about your loneliness? It's great if something that's really uncomfortable goes away. It's great when something that's uncomfortable goes away. But it's not good to attack something uncomfortable with the hope it will go away. We're learning a completely different skill, which is how to be present with what's arising in a peaceful way. Or as I said yesterday, allowing for what's arising to just arise and to change. Allowing what's arising to arise and change. And when you train in that, which is what we're doing, we're training in a skill it becomes a portable skill. Yeah. And if you keep staying with it, you're making progress. Um, that's why we're doing so many drills together. I never thought of these as drills. Can I share something with you, but don't tell anybody? <laughs> you know when you're really tired and you don't know what to do? And you're I have this sometimes, like if I'm teaching a lot. Um, so the thing I used to be into is Downton Abbey. <laughs> Don't tell anybody that. Yeah. Is there shame? Is there shame? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then when I realized Downton Abbey is actually not what I thought it was, um, and like Mary still hasn't gotten married. Um, <laughs> Again, then, then uh, I don't know why, but I started watching tennis highlights on YouTube. I, I don't play tennis. I don't really know anything about tennis. But I don't know. One day I just got the idea that I wanted to watch tennis highlights. So I would just type in like 2015 best tennis points. And like I would just sit there and watch tennis points <laughs> until I fell asleep. And, uh, and you know on the side when you're watching something, they show you all the other things you could watch? So one of the things you could watch was clips of Maria Sharapova warming up. <laughs> Just drills of her warming up before a game. And um, so I clicked on it. It was amazing. She has a coach, and before a game, they're showing all the drills that she does before a game to warm up. And a lot of the drills that she does are moving sideways, moving sideways. So all the muscles in her ankles that help her ankles 
as she's moving sideways, are really, really warm and strong before a game. So that when she runs sideways for a point, everything's warmed up. And while I was watching this, I thought, I know she's not cool now, right? <laughs> she's kind of like, doesn't have any sponsors anymore. Yeah. But anyways, I still like her. Um, so, where was I? She's running sideways. She's running sideways on drugs she didn't mean to take at all for 10 years. Um, uh, and didn't know they were performance enhancing for 10 years with three doctors. Uh, no one got the email <laughs> that they were banned. Anyways, where was I? Oh yeah, and I thought, this is what we're doing when we have a daily meditation practice. We're doing drills, just like we're doing with each other. So we're practicing cultivating the field, as I said yesterday, so that when anxiety comes, when difficulty comes, when pain comes, we know how to relate to it. We're training in awkward ranges of movement. We're training in the areas of the mind where we're going to get injured. And we're strengthening those areas. Interestingly, that's kind of what we're doing in the movement practice as well. Exactly the same. Somebody with anxiety, when you start teaching them meditation, will say, I look down the canal and I don't just see one boat coming. I see a hundred. I look into my mind and I don't just see a thought arising. I see a thousand. I see a thousand. And I say, at least you see they're coming. At least you see that they're coming. So I might say, great. Just great that you can see that. I know it sounds so simple, and I know you've had this thought before, but it's a different thing to practice that. To feel your breathing and see those thoughts coming, and just see them from a distance as thoughts. So you're kind of showing positive. Not even positive, just seeing. Just the power of being able to see. And then secondly, now you also have something to come back to that's not all those boats coming down the canal at you. You have something to come back to that's safe and fluid and embodied, which is your breathing or sound. And last, um, I might ask them, what are you learning from coming back to your breath? Like, what are you learning about what moves through you when you come back to your breathing? What do you see about that? Because noticing the specific boats coming towards you is uh, overwhelming. Like noticing every thought that's coming at you is overwhelming. It'll drown you. You want to see the whole view and you want to be asking yourself, what's happening in the body? What does the breath feel like? And you might even have to say to yourself, Holly, I'm going to give attention to this later. Juliet, I'm going to give you attention to this later. Marie, I'm going to give attention to this later. Like, you talk to yourself. I'm going to give attention to this later. What are you going to give attention to? The content. 
I'm going to pay attention to the content later. Right now, at this time, I'm just going to feel my breathing. And one of the results of this practice over time is your ability to be aware becomes stronger and more stable and more balanced. and unrelated to what's showing up. You can be aware right in the middle of delusion, and you can be aware of the delusion. And sometimes the way I describe uh, enlightenment, or enlightening, or awakening, is you walk into a room with a dimmer switch, and you just turn it on. And it's a little brighter. And then next time you walk in, you turn it on even more. And the more you turn it on, the more it brightens up and the more you can see. And the paradox is the more you can see, the worse things are. The worse things are. The worse things are because you see more stuff. But from a more balanced perspective. So, just speaking again personally, you know, I think for all of us, speaking personally for all of us, <laughs> um, I think uh, when we boil down some of the reasons why we're all here, they have to do with a deeply wanting to settle our hearts, deeply wanting to settle our minds, so we can really experience our lives, fully experiencing life. And we're also slowly starting to see, I hope, that wherever you are in your precious life, this is it. You can only experience your life in this moment. You can't experience your life outside of this moment. So this is it. And even though you were hoping your meditation was going to take you to a peaceful world, and a heaven realm. This is it. This is it. Look around. This is it. And even if you have an idea of how you're going to be reincarnated, still this is it. You can still only experience your life right now, moment to moment to moment. And you can't hang on to any of the previous moments. You only have this. This said, um, when you also said before, when you become aware of your psychosis or depression or anxiety, yeah. when you're in that moment of awareness, then yeah. you're not psychotic, depressed, or anxious. Uh huh. Right? Possibly. Yeah. Because how can you be the other if you're right. being aware? Yeah. yeah. But it's still very, extremely scary. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're aware of pain, it's mm. painful. Mm. If you're aware of depression, it's melancholic. Okay, so like just being aware of something change. doesn't mean the thing's gone. If you have like intense pain and you become more aware of the pain, you'll be more aware of the pain. That's what I mean. You turn the light on 
and it's brighter, but um, you become aware of the pain and you don't need to go shopping. <laughs> you become aware of your depression and uh, you can meet melancholy and maybe be more skillful in how you relate to it. Maybe you won't lie in bed the whole morning. When it comes, turns back to depression again. Yeah. No, not when it turns back to depression again. When you're aware of depression, it's still depression. But it's okay. It's just depression. In other words, like, in early Indian teachings around practice, there was a real focus on nirvana being the extinguishing of suffering. And then as practice evolves, things begin to change. And instead of focusing on a practice that's trying to overcome suffering, we start to realize that there's suffering. But if you're aware of suffering, it's okay. It's just suffering. You don't have to get over the suffering. In fact, trying to get over your suffering is going to create the suffering of trying to get over your suffering that you can't get over. So why don't we just suffer? But then it's, but then it's not suffering if you're okay with it. Uh, let's keep practicing and see what it is. <laughs> the poetry of it I really like. But in your own experience, when you're aware of suffering, it still feels like suffering, I think, in my experience. Awareness doesn't mean that you're not feeling the pain of what you're aware of. It just means that your reactivity around it has been suspended. Right? So you can operate more skillfully. Correct. Yeah. It's almost like there's two elements to there. There's the pain or suffering elements, and then one's relationship. Yes. Yeah. For sure. So, um, let's sum up a little bit. We're doing this internal practice of settling our hearts. You have to settle your heart. You have to. Because if you have a really unsettled heart, because maybe you're really greedy, or maybe you're really angry, or whatever, it's really hard to get your breath to settle. And second, let's also keep in mind that we're doing this together. And maybe this isn't like your ideal community, but it's your community right now. We're a pop-up sangha together. <laughs> and think about it. We've looked very deeply in each other's faces. Uh, we've touched each other's bellies. We've sat really still together. We've shared together. We've been vulnerable together. And it's only day three. So let that in a little bit. Yeah. Because uh, practice is more efficient when it includes other people. Right? It's like a highway. You know, you know on, the, on the freeway, what do you call them? Motorway. Motorway. You know there's a lane where if you have more than one person in your car, you're allowed to go faster. Uh, what do you call those lanes? 
<laughs> you don't have those lanes? Passing lanes. We don't do that. Oh. Passing lanes. But we can Okay. In North America, we have these carpool lanes where if you have more than one person in your car or more than two people in your car, you can move over into that lane. And um, you get to go faster. Practice is like that, too. They have that in Russia, except it's just uh, Putin and all the officials. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, when we're practicing, I'm encouraging you, follow these techniques. Does everybody hear that? When it's time to go inward, really go in to the technique and feel it. It's so lucky you have the time and you can be here and do this. So, like, do it. Go, do the technique, it's amazing. Don't sit here and be somewhere else. Okay? And lastly, let's be really social together. Pro-social together. It's a pro-social practice. So if you're a little bit shy of being social, take a risk. Or if you're really social but you're always social the same way, try, like, experimenting. You don't have to be the same person all the time. That's why I wore the cheerleader outfit today, <laughs> underneath this. And when you can stay with something with greater attention, it becomes healing and it doesn't matter what it is. Pain is healing, dying is healing. You can be in the process of dying and it can be deeply healing if you're really in it. Divorce can be healing. Austerity can be healing. Somebody in pain, somebody in acute pain, you couldn't say to somebody that, that's in that, in the present moment, that pain is healing. Mm -hmm. I think they could get really angry. It's possible. Mm. And we also know that if we're going to do meditative practice with someone who's in pain, part of our practice might involve helping them um, become closer to their pain because it's healing. Yeah. We'll get to it. But we might not say to them. No. Right? no. Um, and that way, we're including everything in our healing. We're making everything part of our community. Everything. So your community, if you're open, should include death, and should include separation, and should include pain, and should include disability as all part of your community with the trust that there's this simple goodness that's always there. So there's an art to, despite, you know, nowadays it's all neuroscience, but I really think this is an art. And what I mean by that, there, there's an art to cultivating attentiveness. And as with any other art, uh, time and regular practice helps you refine it. Your body learns to settle into the posture, 
Your breath becomes smooth and slower. Irrelevant thoughts no longer scream at you so loud. They become more like a whisper. And by the end of each half an hour of sitting, you'll feel more lightheartedness and calmness and tranquility, even if things are difficult. If you're in the week this week, and as you're learning some of these practices, you're extremely irritated, or you can't stop moving around, or you're bored out of your mind, um, or you're upset, um, don't ask your meditation to change. Just keep cultivating the field right in the middle of those feelings. And just be really kind to yourself. And if you're not kind to yourself, uh, other people are going to be really kind to you. So it's going to be really hard this week to be really terrible with yourself. Because you'll be really terrible, and then everybody else is going to be so kind that like, the person in you that's likes to beat yourself up, um, is going to run out of steam, or is going to start to get kind of embarrassed that they're the only one doing this, and will start to settle down over time. But remember, you don't have to get on top of the judgmental version of you. You just have to keep cultivating this gentle field, and that version of yourself will start to settle. So. We've practiced mindfulness of sound. We're going to go a little deeper into mindfulness of breathing. First, we're going to do a little exercise together around it. And the key is, you don't have to do the breathing. Just let your body breathe. And trust that your body knows how to breathe. And let that massage your heart. And massage all the habits in your heart. And it works. And it's such a gentle path. Such a gentle path. I mean, sometimes I might yell at you, or hit you, or whatever. Right, Caitlin? But just be gentle with yourself. Okay? So, uh, let's take five minutes for any questions or comments, particularly related to the technique, um, or practice questions, and then we're going to do a little exercise together. Yes. I have a question around um, the guidance to um, breathe into your belly and, and realize the belly. Yeah. Um, because obviously, you know, when you breathe, you're sort of feeling your whole body. And it sort of jarred with me a little bit to be kind of restricting my awareness just there. Yeah. Um, is that kind of, is, can you think of just the whole body or? Like, I mean, you can. Like, we're going to look at five different areas for focusing your breath. We're starting with the belly. There's two reasons why I like the belly. One is, it's a pretty focused spot. So if I say feel your whole body breathing, you might move your attention around, check this out, check that out. I don't want you to move around too much. I want you to really hone in on an area so you can feel it. Okay? The second reason why I like uh, the belly is that um, there's a lot of sensation there. So it's pretty easy to feel your breath in your belly. If I ask you to feel your breath in your fingertip, <laughs> without LSD, it's really hard <laughs> to, to get that 
attunement. Um, so my suggestion is just start with the belly, feel the breath in the belly, and, and just try and keep your attention like honed in from the inside on receiving that breath there. Yeah, and there's two reasons why it's sometimes hard to feel your breath in your belly. One is sitting in chairs. We start to lose, like, acute sensation of the abdomen from sitting in chairs a lot because everything's just slumped. And the other reason sometimes it's hard to uh, feel the breath in the belly is um, if you either have learned this or you have a self-conscious way of holding your body where you suck in your belly a lot, then that would also make it hard to feel natural belly breathing. You know who you are. So um, don't suck in your belly. One of my favorite things about this yoga center is there's no mirrors. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't suck in your belly. The only time you should suck in your belly is when you're on the beach. <laughs> when you're on the beach or you're posing for the cover of the yoga journal or some other fashion magazine, mm-hmm. you, should, you should suck in your your belly really, really tight. Um, so you look like, uh, I don't know. Whatever. Do you know what I'm talking about? But for everybody else, uh, like, your belly should just be soft. So let your belly be soft so you can feel your breathing there. But a lot of people, they hold themselves so that they don't let their belly be soft. Um, Yeah. But you say don't suck your belly. How else could you just explain it to them? What did we do this morning? Yeah. 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 We remember we put each other's hands on our bellies, so that you just go. Oh. You put your own there. Yeah. When I work with kids, we put a stuffy. Do you guys have stuffies in the UK? Yeah. A teddy? A stuffed animal. Yeah, you put your favorite one, you bring your favorite one to meditation class, you put it on your belly, and you lie down and you breathe, or you put your head on something and you watch it go up and down. And you try and make the stuffy go up and down. And then as you relax, your stuffy shouldn't go up and down as much until it starts really, really relaxing. And if you start to get sleepy, you won't see it anymore. So make sure you keep looking at your stuff. That's what we do. Until they can get their breath like really, really, really soft. And then we try it with other people's stuffies. So like give your stuffy to someone else. And then you switch. And then you try it with their stuffy, see if it's different. Yeah. If you're in a yoga center and adults are not into bringing their stuffy. You can do it with a bolster or something with a little bit of weight, like more weight than your hand. Yeah, and just feel something on you. Yeah, yeah. little babies work really well. Like if someone has a baby, they can pass it around. <laughs> Any other thoughts or comments before we keep going? I have a question yep. about the technique of yesterday and anxiety. Yep. Would you practice it, um, the meditation on sound, with someone in a uh, 
deep anxiety or depression. Yeah, totally. It, just, it feels counterintuitive mm -hmm. to me. Uh-huh. How come? Because it's, it's already coming from so many places, and if you already have so many thoughts coming, it just adds to the number right. of things happening. Right. So tomorrow, when we talk about depression, I'm going to link it back to anxiety and talk about meditation techniques for anxiety and depression and um, why meditative practice proves so helpful, especially for people who experience depressive relapse. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't say meditation in general, just yeah. the sounds and yeah. space. Really helpful. Okay. <laughs> okay, you ready? So let me... Uh...